it's like it's like Westworld season three not being about Westworld at all. Just okay, hold on. I'm season one, so like, spoiler <laughs> alert that shit for me for a second. <laughs> okay, fine. Spoiler horn, I guess. I have I I have heard that like everybody who gets a season three like I don't I don't know what this is about anymore. It's pretty cool. I like it so it, far. It's it's definitely taken a turn. Okay. And this we you know we finished season three and it's it's not over yet. So that's okay. whatever that means. I don't know. It <laughs> it means they're they're still trying to figure out the plot line. <laughs> it's it's interesting how how heavy they went into. And this will this will never be in the show, I swear. Uh, how heavy they went into the the whole mind that was the the storyline that uh, Ford created, Anthony okay. Hopkins' character. Like it's right. They don't they don't stop leaning into that. Okay. So if that if that makes you feel any better, like it's I remember the first season and how I don't know how far into the first season are you. Before I make or like episode eight maybe okay. like i'm early yeah i'm early so it, it it's probably started to appear that things are a little out of order i don't know if you've noticed in, that in yet. What, so so the context i have is the old white dude who's mm-hmm. been there for like ever is right. like yo i'm trying to find like that secret layer and like he's right. trying to go like a level deep right because like apparently if he goes to this maze and hits that level, you can actually potentially get hurt, which is like apparently what masochists want when you pay 40 grand a day. (laughs) Um, And then the, the female avatar, I guess you can call her. I'm not sure what they call them in, in the, in the the show anymore. They call Um, them host. That's right. So the female host, the main female host, she's like starting to realize some stuff, which is Mm -hmm. pretty interesting. Okay. Okay. So my statement might not make a ton of sense yet, but it will. (laughs) Okay. And it'll, it, it, it indicates a lot about the storytelling style that is to come as well. Okay. Nice. They don't they don't shift from that a lot. I don't I don't want to give away too much, but like the I appreciate that. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try <laughs> to say this in a very vague way for those who have seen it already would will will know what I'm talking about. The uh, and again this will never air, so they will have no okay. idea what we're saying. Of course. Nice. I was um, like, Wait, <laughs> you said lies. <laughs> we'll That's start bullshit. the show soon. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> There are very subtle hints about the, uh, I guess the, this the mental state, if you will, okay. or the perspective in which the story is being told in that moment. Oh, that's fair. Okay. Like, if you've have you watched uh, Legion, the no, the Marvel... I have not. No, okay. I think that's Marvel. I don't know. Anyways, they have a similar storytelling style where there's you know if there's a clear shift in like internal versus external okay. they they very subtly indicate that to you so you don't get totally lost otherwise it wouldn't it really wouldn't make any sense like it would be okay. totally out of context otherwise so it's uh the the storytelling style definitely doesn't change and uh okay i i find it to be interesting it's it's creative um they definitely they, they leaned really heavily on it in the first season it'll and it'll it'll make more sense once you see uh what and it has to do with the old guy character that's all all i'm gonna say but he's he's pivotal in explaining that makes that interesting storytelling style like once they reveal the the secret about him in that first season that'd be like whoa wait what and then i've I've got a movie that like you should watch i watched last night so james is like super into like thrillers and like mind kind of movies 
And he's like, yeah, watch Coherence. It's from like 2013. Okay. We we watched it last night. Dude, so it's it has to do with um, Schrodinger's cat, mm-hmm. but it's an extrapolation of Schrodinger's cat as a concept in a movie. And okay. it's completely like, you're like, oh, I get what's happening here. My mind can't wrap around this. And then they throw you some bones. You're like, nope, my mind can't wrap around this. What mm-hmm. the hell is happening? And then it just ends. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's I great. love that kind of stuff. That, yeah. that, that like inception type, you know, it's, story it's within that, a story like, almost. It's like a, it's like a early two thousands version where people were really like experimenting with film and right. like, so it's, it's short relatively speaking, but it's like, oh, okay. That's interesting. Like it's really like you have to pick up on the subtle, the subtle like uh, clues that are mm-hmm. left throughout to be like, oh, okay. Yep. Nope. I see what's happening. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Westworld does stuff like that. If I'm understanding you correctly, but the, in the first season, I don't know if you'll notice, like what I'm referring to, I don't think you'll notice as much as you will okay. in the second season. Sure. The first season, again, without giving it away, there are no alternative reality storylines that are... Right, happening. that makes sense. So, yeah. again, without giving Is it, it all away. Is it weird that I really want to go to Westworld? Like, if that was a reality, I would go in a heartbeat. I'd, I'll, I'll go with so you. Cool. I would totally go. It's so. It's <laughs> such a cool concept, though. Like, it truly is. The... The entirety of the first season, I I kept wondering, where the hell are they doing this? Like, on the planet, where do they have enough space to do this, right? And they, they do eventually explain that. So, again, I won't I won't okay. spoil that either. That doesn't show up until the third season. So Okay. Nice. Spoiler alerts, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe we just ruined Westworld for a bunch of people. But um, it, See, it is, you it, keep saying a bunch of people, but then you keep saying that we're not, right, this, this is show, not going to air. So never air. I have trust this issues never. <laughs> I suppose we should start the show, right? Mm-hmm. Wait, what are we talking about today? <laughs> Wait, this wasn't the show? Welcome to growth number 13, the robot you are. I'm re-going through this book, and it's, like, super amazing. Algorithms to live by. Dude, this is a really cool book. So it takes different algorithms, like sorting, scheduling, stuff like that, like single machine, you know, multiple machine, and, like, breaks down the optimal algorithm for each problem set as it applies to basic life. And so I've been using it across the board. Like, I have a caching system for my books because I will leave them everywhere. So I have – so the immediate memory is one that's on the desk. Only one can be there. And then I use a uh, last recently used algorithm to actually sort them, which is kind of interesting. So I don't need to be like, oh, where's that book that I routinely go go towards? I can tell you exactly where it's probably going to be at based off like usage. It's the coolest thing. And then like I'm doing this one that I've been doing for a few weeks as a as a test, which is obviously as a single machine problem, which we are as humans, there's no like optimal quote-unquote solution in in regards to like can i get more done in less time right like if a task takes takes 10 minutes it takes 10 minutes right so if you have eight hours in a day you can pretty much rearrange things as much as you want but you're still going to get the same amount theoretically done but what's interesting is how do you work through that list right is it just the one that takes the longest because typically the one that takes the longest like is more important, but is it right? Like that, that's where things get interesting. And a lot of people get stuck as like, like, okay, I have a a list of, let's say 30 things to get done today. What do I do next? Or what do I do now? And so like one of the algorithms actually looks at 
looks at this as a single machine problem, but then says, okay, priority does matter, right? So let's call priority weight. Then let's look at how long something takes. And so what the algorithm does is it takes the weight divided by the time, which equals basically what they call a task density. And so you work from the highest density down to the lowest. And what this does is it's, it, sh- it basically prioritizes the highest, shortest task, right? So the highest priority, shortest to get done task. So if you have a high task that takes 10 minutes, that's, that should get done now versus a high priority task that takes an hour. And so what's interesting is you're also doing, and I'm like obsessed with this this morning for whatever reason, because I want to apply this not only to my email, but also to, to support tickets because they, they actually run in parallel pretty well. I approach them very similar. If you look at, at reducing some stuff, and actually we talked about this, I believe on the last episode, if I'm not mistaken. So you could, I, I, I think we did. I don't remember. I've been on zoom like 40 hours this week. Um, actually probably more at this point, um, so if you look at two, two projects that need to get done with two different clients, one takes one hour or one day to complete. The other one takes three days to complete. The due date can be the exact same for both clients, right? So let's say the due date for, for the task that's going to take one day is on day five, right? So realistically, you could do the three-day task first and then the one-day task and then have everything due at the same time. The problem with that is if you look at the average wait time, it's four divided by two, right? So, so it's, or no, I take it back. I actually, I think the math works out to like three and a half days because although the single day task only took a day to complete for you, the client had to wait the three day task plus their one day task to get their task completed and sent to them. So if you rearrange that to where you do the one day task first, even if the three day task is higher priority, you reduce the average wait time across the board for all clients. So the average drops down, it's like two something, right? So you, you drop it from, let's say three and a half days on average to two something. Similar to the task density thing, this is kind of in that same vein. It's like, okay, how do I just get as much done before noon? Great, here's a, here's a methodology we could do to, to kind of make that happen. So I've been looking at, okay, well, how do I apply this across the board? <laughs> like, how do I get so much more done by default just because my systems are in place, right? So like email as a pri- priority example, an email that doesn't require a response is low priority, but takes zero seconds for you to hit the delete button. What about one that says it's a medium priority, but only requires you to type two sentences in terms of time. It's relatively low, right? That might be sub five minutes. And then you might have one that takes low priority, but is like, three paragraphs long. So you have to read through it, analyze it, and then send a response. What's interesting is a lot of people just go top to bottom with no sorting, with no priority, no just like, how do I get this done as quickly as possible? So if you can rearrange that, one, you can theoretically reduce, and these kind of go against each other to a certain degree, right? So you can reduce the average wait time for either like support tickets, email, what have you, or you can simply get a lot done <laughs> in a shorter period of time. It's really interesting. Like this, this book, Algorithms to Live By, is like I've really been extracting a lot of this stuff and just testing it in like real world scenarios, and it works. It's so, so interesting. That is the most Dylan way of managing your personal life I've ever heard <laughs> with algorithms so far in this podcast. Like, this is episode 13 and out of the out of all of the things that he has said to me about 
automation and becoming less human. Like I swear, if 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 I didn't know who Elon Musk was, I would think that there's a small chance that it's this guy that I'm talking to right now. I here. am like, H- Ash X thirty five X Wing. His, his child i don't know how to actually pronounce it oh, God. but but it's interesting like <laughs> there's there do you sort your friends this way too are you do are your social engagements sorted by not. density as you well? could you totally could though like yeah no i mean it's it's super interesting because i have another one also stolen from this book i steal everything of course um an explore exploit problem these this is super cool like so think about food right so so the example they give is whenever you go Let's say you go on a three-day trip and you go to Fort Lauderdale. I don't know why people go there, but they do. I would never go to Fort Lauderdale. Sorry, Fort Lauderdale. Thank you for agreeing with me. I went once. I was like, never again. But let's say you got three days. At the beginning, you want to explore all the options. You just want to get a sample size, right? But on the last day, what you should not do is explore because you run the risk of hitting a bad restaurant. Instead, what you should do is look back at what you explored, which were, let's say, the, the four or five restaurants throughout the, the previous few days. And on the last day, say, what was our favorite? Great. Let's exploit that knowledge and have one awesome day of food guaranteed, theoretically, right? Like, that's a pretty cool thing. So, like, you know, considering I'm about to move to Boston, I'm like, great. I want to use Foursquare to create a list of places I want to explore. And then I will also have a subsequent list of places that I love that I can exploit at any given moment. So it's a cool way to like reduce uh, decision fatigue and like regret, which is pretty cool. And again, you can apply this to like anything, right? So like if you're looking to hire somebody, great, explore a bunch of candidates and then exploit the best one and exploit not being like a negative connotation as it typically is like in computer science, exploit is not a, well, it could be depending on if you're like, a security like contractor, but like, you know, exploit as in like, take advantage of the knowledge you have. It's pretty cool. I'm pretty sure you're Foursquare's only remaining user too at this point. It sounds like. That's also true. And it's kind of sad, but, but what is great is when people are like, yo, I'm going to Savannah, Georgia. Cause I, I, for whatever reason, love that place. Um, it's like a nice weekend getaway. Um, and like, what do you recommend? Here's my exploit list. So one, I don't have to rethink of all the things that I love there. I can just send you my list of the most amazing stuff that I know you're going to love. Problem solved via text. Mm-hmm. I, I can appreciate that. I mean, you, you'll, in theory, all of the places you've ever been, you would have a, cano- a canonical list of the restaurants that you will ever recommend to anybody, maybe based on certain criteria, if they like certain food, et cetera, et cetera, right? But there's, there is the one list so that you never... Well, I, I imagine you don't ultimately have to think about it anymore because you know that list just already exists and you just share it and then you move on to the next task like the robot exactly. you are. Exactly. That should have been the title of our show. The robot you like are. Like the robot you are. <laughs> I know. It's well, it's so so cool. Um, so like obviously we're we're in like week three of onboarding this this new employee and I'm like teaching him like my methodologies, <laughs> like how to think about stuff, right? And I'm sharing these algorithms. He's like, I never would have considered to approach support to reduce the average wait time in that, like in that way, right? Obviously you, that that's the goal, but it's like, great. How do you reverse engineer that to turn that into a process that you can now, or like a framework that you can follow and like clearly lay out, like here's the algorithm. Yeah. Like the algorithm through which we approach this as a problem. Um, because if that's the most important thing, great. If I'm just like, Hey, just hit that goal, but you don't know how to do it. You're just going to like basically brute force it. Like, how am I doing you any justice versus 
hey, here's the easiest way to make this happen. Your life's going to be super easy. The customer's going to love it. We hit our goals. Life's amazing. That's to me, that's what I want, right? And what I'm really doing, it's so funny because a lot of people are like, Dylan, you're so like systems based. Like you're not a creative person. Not true. Actually, <laughs> limitations are creative enhancers. The reason for that is I'm taking the things that really don't require or should not require that much mental capacity and I'm freeing up my mind to focus on other creative pursuits. What's interesting is like how we, how we, you know, automated the vast majority of a prep center using Airtable and Zapier. I was only able to solve that problem by thinking creatively. But what's great is I got to solve that problem. Now the problem solves and it runs on its own from that standpoint. That's super cool. Um, and so you can, you can get to a point where you're getting like three humans worth of work done and one humans worth of time. And it's not like I'm sitting here plugged into the matrix, just like, rah, like that would be cool <laughs> to me because I'm a dork, but really like, that's not what my day looks like. It's super interesting, right? We just, I like frameworks and things. I like, I like to be given a framework through which I can think about a problem and understand, okay, what's the best solution here, right? Because I think as business owners, that's a hard thing. You have all the all the the information in front of you. You have to make the decision and you have to live with the fact that you might make the wrong one. And by the way, you will a lot of the times. But what happens when you're given a problem that computer scientists have loathed over for 10 plus years and have found not the only solution, but the optimal solution? Okay, do I think that I could apply 10 years, 10 plus years really of of knowledge and research by people who have PhDs in computer science that are in physics that are clearly smarter than I am. Do, do you think I could use that information to my benefit? Yeah, probably. <laughs> like I, I just, I just know that these people are way smarter than I am. Therefore, why am I, why, sh, why do I think I can create a better solution with no, with not enough data, right? It's like, great. If this is the solution here, I'm just going to use it and move on. So I'm I'm sitting here thinking about if I if I made a task list of all of the random things that I need to do. These are just all over the place, no particular rhyme, reason, theme, etc. Just we'll just say a, a punch list of chores and errands to do over the weekend, right? I generally write them all down, and maybe I'll do them by region, by like physical region. Say like if I had to give an easy example, if I had do the dishes and the laundry on the on the list, I would probably do them one after the other because they're physically located near each other does that does that weigh in at all in your in your decision making or do you do you think about it more more granularly than that like i don't i wouldn't know how to measure all of these different tasks in a way that would make things more efficient than than that basically yeah that's, that's a good idea okay so you can you can hack the algorithm like most you can right if you understand the inputs you can manipulate the inputs to to sort things out Prime example, at the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is called a, a daily debrief. Um, it's just a very ridiculously complex uh, Google sheet that I have taken from ultraworking.com. It's like it helps me just daily write out some thoughts, what happens. And then I can do a debrief at the end of the month and say, okay, here's how this month went, right? Like, was it good? Was it bad? Was it exceptional? And why? Well, that takes 10 minutes. And it's really not a high priority. Now, if I just throw that into the system as is, 
it's going to end up somewhere in the middle of the day, but I really want it to be the last thing. So how do I do that? I just reduce the priority to the lowest amount and still apply a, a time of 10 minutes, but the density is zero divided by 10. So it's zero, right? So at that point, it's now pushed to the bottom, which is kind of cool, right? Now, I say that to say you could theoretically also do that with regions. So it depends on how you're setting priorities. So I have four priorities, P1, 2, 3, and 4. I have these because I use Todoist as like my daily task manager. It's just, it works for me. It uses natural language. So if I need to jump into a task, I can say, you know, tomorrow. And it knows that means it's due tomorrow, all that good stuff. If you wanted to, I blend everything together. For me, that works. I like just to dump everything into one list, sort it. Let's get, let's get at it. You could though say P1 is business. Everything P1 is going to be business because to me, let's think containers, right? Let's think grouping. You can create your priority numbers or, or thresholds, if you will, based off of categories. P2 may be household chores. Therefore, by default, they're grouped together. Now, here's where, what's interesting, though. You can have a P2, so a priority two, that takes five minutes higher than all of your P1s, depending on how long they take. But that's the point. The point here is not that you say, I only want to look at business tasks right now, right? It might be, hey, do the dishes at 8 a.m. because that's going to be the quickest thing to get done and then switch over to business stuff. So it's interesting. Now, you don't have to blend everything together. You don't have to have all of your contextual tasks yeah, task into you know one crazy list like I do. I just dump everything into the today view and just get at it. Instead, you might want to say, here's all my business tasks. Let me run this calculation to get the task density. Do that. Now I'm in, you know, let's say household chore mode. Great. Let's do the same thing just for those tasks, right? So there is something to like context switching, right? You don't necessarily want to be doing the dishes at 10 a.m. because you work from home. Like you're, you're at work theoretically, right? So you could bucket them and say, for these two hours, I'm going to get my household chores done. Great. How do I then work through those the most effective and optimal manner in the two hours? Does that make sense? Yes, I think so. I think so. Okay. It's like a long-winded way of explaining that you can basically time block <laughs> based off context. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think, you know, I, I had mentioned in an early episode that I use my email inbox as a task list and, and Dylan promptly chastised me for it. But you know what is the yes. thing I do and it's not changing. So moving on. Um <laughs> When I personal growth, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm thinking about how I when I when I do get around to to tackling those those emails that hang out in there, um, I I feel like I almost subconsciously kind of weight them in my mind. Like I have some that are related to maybe like more long form tasks that take you know it's going to take a bunch of time to sit down and do it requires a build up and a, and a ramp down and all that stuff and then there's there are ones that i can quickly knock out so then when i do go back through them I, i'm skimming i see my previews all right i know this is an easy one i'll just do that real quick i know that's an easy one i'll do that real quick so it's while it's not really algorithmically sound or whatever you want to call it it is more or less maybe less maybe more or less, less more what, uh, what you're describing right now. Yeah. Just not. Yeah. And, and most people operate somewhat in this fashion, right? This is, this is the fundamental problem when people say, 
I know how I get things done, but I can never teach it to somebody else because only I get it. No, most things can be quantified and turned into a logical set of steps. Therefore, you're not special. It can be written down and then handed to somebody else, right? So this is that same fundamental problem. Um, and problem in the sense of people don't think they think this way. This is super interesting to me from like a neuroscience standpoint. Like if you look at like neural nets, so if we can geek out for like AI machine learning for a second, like, like we don't fully understand how they work, but we understand that there is a logical set of steps, right? We look at weightings based off different layers of, of a neural network. Great. So we, we naturally think that we're just creative and like there's no frameworks through which we think and make decisions on. But the simple fact is that exists. It's different for everybody. Some things you do just make a random decision. Great. Some algorithms actually include randomness for that reason. Super interesting, right? You can bake in and explore exploit problems. Say, hey, just try this and see what the heck happens every now and then. Like, and then take that feedback loop and then reiterate. Okay, so my whole point in all this, though, is like I don't want to have to rethink through what I do next. I just want to get it done. Now, the reason for that is it's not that I haven't put thought into what I'm doing. I've done that previously. So I sat down and said, this is the algorithm through which I decide what gets done at what sequence or in what sequence. Therefore, because I've made that decision already, I never have to make that decision again. Now I can just throw that into the system and get the work done, right? So I think it's easy, it's, you know, especially me because I'm super into the whole like productivity thing. It's like you, you find yourself when you get into all this stuff like – Wow, I spent four hours learning about productivity and got nothing done. Awesome. <laughs> like That's not how this should work. But you can, you know, it's the same thing we talked about previously um, on a few episodes ago. It was like, you know, we sat down for like half an hour to an hour to just standardize something in the company, which is like, what laptops do we get everybody? Like, is it worth an hour's conversation? Depends. But I, what I don't want to do is have a 30 minute to an hour long conversation every single time we have to do this, right? I don't want to have an hour times in the number of times we actually need to purchase these. I just want to make that decision, take the time to think it through and say, great, that's the standard now. If you need to order a laptop, here's the one you get, period, right? Like it just makes your life easier moving forward. I wrote a blog post um, on my personal blog talking about the power of defaults. Like if you can use Explorer exploit algorithms to figure out like, okay, what's the shirt, the t-shirt that you love the best? Do you really, when you need to go purchase another t-shirt, need to rethink through which one should I get? No. If you love um, Uniglo, great. That's your t-shirt of choice. If, if it's jeans and you only like American Eagle jeans or Lucky Brand jeans, whatever, great. Sometimes you might want to explore. But if you just need it to replace something, just get it, right? So it's easy for me to now say, I like J. Crew shirts. Whatever reason, they're comfortable and they're not really that expensive. They're always on sale. Great, I don't have to make that decision ever again. If I need to replace one of my shirts, I just go to their site, purchase it, and move on. Because I've, I've predetermined what that decision should be. Now I don't have to redo that decision. I get to just execute on, on you know, that framework, so to speak. It just makes your life way easier. 
Yeah. No, I, it's when it's funny you mentioned the clothing. Cause that's, that's actually one of the areas that I, I, I lean the most heavy on, on that way of thinking, partly because of the shape that I am, I have to get a certain size of shirt. My, my shoulders are like, you can, you can see like the shirt is barely large enough for my shoulders and this is a large, right? So anything like, Large is a very subjective term. Any any really any shirt size, really any clothing size, is pretty subjective. There's no standard to it whatsoever. It's terrible. But I've bought larges, probably four dozen different brands over the years, and they all fit exactly differently, right? Right. <laughs> there was no yeah hundred percent no two that were the same, right? So when I found when I found the brand that worked, which this is this is from uh, Three Fit Theory, which you haven't heard from. If you've never heard of they. They ask you your shirt size, and then they send you three variants of it, like a like a regular, like a standard size. They send you like a wide version, and like a slightly wider, tall version. Okay. And then you tell them which one is best, and that that's what you order from now on, right? So I got the the slightly wide, tall version, and fits great, right? And that's that's all I order now because that's the only shirt that I know will not only fit when I first get it, but will continue to fit after it gets washed the first time, which is that. That's the that's the million dollar uh, uh, right. question right there, and, and same for yeah. pants, right? Because it's it, it, it's amazing how, and I feel I feel terrible for for women who have to go through this. Like I know when my my wife buys clothes, you know it's it's all over the place, even more so. And the anxiety, right? Imagine that. Like I I have the worst buyer's remorse when it comes to clothes. Anything else, not a problem. Watch, not a problem. $12 t-shirt, I kid you not, I will hold it for 30 minutes and be like, eh, I don't, I'm not sure, and not buy it. Because of that, like, I just don't know. And so then it's like, okay, well, if that's a problem, why don't we just know that we're going to explore a bunch of options? I'm going to go to like the six stores that I like, purchase a bunch of stuff, try it all on, see which one is like the the best fit, the optimal outcome. And then that's the default moving forward. Yeah, Done. no, I did. I did somewhat of the same exercise with Three Fit Theory as I did with Untuck It for like my polos and and button up shirts and stuff. I bought two or three different cuts of the same shirt and basically just picked the one that 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 fit the best. Right, like I spent probably three hundred dollars on shirts just to try them all out. Right, but it was exponentially easier than ordering one that says, eh, it'll probably work for you. And then seeing what happens and then finding out it doesn't and then having to order another and seeing what happens, right? Like it's, it was more expensive upfront, I'll admit, but because I could return all the others, I don't know, it ultimately doesn't matter, right? Like I You just, could return all of them. Right. That's the great luckily, part. Right? <laughs> luckily, I did, you know, I, I found, I found the version that did fit. And so I kept that one and then I sent the other ones back. So now I know from Untuck It, which great shirts, by the way, um, I know exactly what what cut of shirt I need for the different categories that they have. You know, the polos, the the long sleeves, the short sleeves, right? Now I don't have to think about it anymore. And they'll probably be the only place I ever buy those shirts from because it's not an exercise I want to do every time I find a different brand, right? So there's almost forced brand loyalty in that regard. Yeah. But yeah, and once you find be, something right? that works, why why change? Why change? That's the whole point here. And and one of the things I wrote about in that blog post, you know, big surprise is that utilizing defaults throughout your life makes automation more possible in other ways. And, and what I mean by that is let's say you're using a, a VA service like getmagic.com, 
right? So it's it's not a VA in the sense of like, hey, do all these business tasks for me. It's like you pay per minute and it's just personal tasks. They just help you out with whatever. Now they theoretically build, and I believe they do this and a few do, they build a profile over time, right? So they they know that you like Coke over Pepsi if they've ever asked you that, right? And you're like, oh, I hate Pepsi. They're like, great, make a note. But what happens when you've built up that default list for them and you get to hand it over and you go, crap, my shirt just got ruined. I need another one. Do you need to then say, hey, find me a shirt? Or do you go, hey, replace, I need you to send me another t-shirt and it needs to be navy blue. They can then go look at their data and say, oh, he likes them from J. Crew. He likes this size. Great. Guess what you got? Exactly what you wanted. Now, it doesn't have to be just like a VA service or something like that. It could be an AI because at some point that's going to be a thing, right? <laughs> like, hey, just purchase me a shirt. Done. Gotcha. Wh- which one? Or your 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 family member, your friend is like, hey, I got you covered. I know you're kind of busy. Like, do you need to then have a 30-minute conversation or can you just say, here's the one? Guaranteed outcome. To to give you a real-life example of that, coming back to the 3Fit Theory uh, I log in. If I want to order a shirt, they don't even ask me what my size is. Like they don't like right. because I've told them this is my size out of all of these ranges. That's just that's the size. Like I can change it. I can say I want different fits, but that's buried way at the bottom, right? Instead, right. I get to pick. You know, do I want a fifty-fifty cotton poly? Do I want hundred percent cotton? Do I want heavyweight? And then I get to pick the the neckline. And then maybe afterwards, if I want to think about a different fit, I can. But like that's right. shoved so far down because you just want is, a shirt, right? Exactly. I mean, listen, that's why I'm so obsessed with Apple products. It's not because I think they're the hands down best. Period. I don't. But guess what? I know what I'm getting. It's consistent, and by default, I will have a MacBook Pro. By default, I will use an iPad Pro, and by default, I will have an iOS phone. It's easy for me. <laughs> like, I don't need to then be like, okay, well, there's 50 phones on the market. Um, which one has the best benchmarks? Like, I don't need to do all that. I'm not going to do that. What's the newest iPhone? Gotcha. Let's get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, every, every year I, I've, for, for a few years, I had switched back and forth in my, my earlier smartphone days. You know, I started with an Android, then I went to an iOS device and then I went back to an Android, then I went to an iOS, iOS device. Like, and, and, and every time I switched, whatever phone I switched to was better than the last time I'd experienced that kind of phone. So the, the second level of Android device, which to give some sense of timescale here was the Galaxy S4 from like 2013. Um, it was way better than the first Android device, which was the Motorola Droid X, I think, from 2011. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it had made significant improvements overall, right? But I, I I couldn't stand the back and forth switching for very long because of how fragmented it made my ecosystem. Yeah. So I ended up, you know, I ended up going back to an iPhone and I haven't switched again because I know that my my entire world, my personal ecosystem is now so finely tuned around what the Apple products give me. I guess I should place an Apple spoiler horn, fanboy horn in here. Um, <laughs> that thinking about switching immediately brings on these these thoughts and feelings of how much work it's going to take post-switch to adjust all of my other workflows. And so I just I don't even think about it. I'm sure... Android phones are great. I'm sure whatever the latest Galaxy Dingus is probably amazing. But I'm so far removed from that that ecosystem. I don't even want to 
think about how much work I'm going to have to put in to change it. Like I, whatever yeah. you, whatever you think about Apple or any other, this is becoming a tech podcast, Christ, whatever you think about any of the manufacturers, like you're still going to end up weighing that against all of the administrative effort it's going to take to make that switch. And maybe for you, maybe for somebody down the street, maybe it's worth it. I don't know. For me, it's not. I have better things to do, and that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. I always tell myself I have better things to do. Like this is not going to net me anything that I don't already have besides maybe making me feel good about something for a little bit. Like that's I can't I can't turn some feel good moments into like tangible results. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think that that's a great observation. Um, and it's less about like it needs to be Mac or PC or blah, blah, blah. It's irrelevant. The point here is that if you're a business owner, you have low-level tasks and you have high-level tasks. Guess what's a low-level task? What phone should I get? I'm sorry, like doesn't freaking matter. It really truly doesn't. Now, if you're like, I want the best performing blah, 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 speed. and Okay, that's different. But to be honest, for the majority of people, they spend far too long trying to rationally make a decision that leads to no positive outcome. It's the same thing. Oh, your phone's faster? Great. How did that make you more money? Oh, it didn't? Interesting. Okay, so was it really worth your time? So I literally get upset. Um, I don't know why. I mean, I kind of rationally get it, but like I shouldn't get this upset. Get when angry, I get, Dylan. <laughs> when I get drawn into a low-level task – and it's taking too long, I actually get mad. I do. I do. <laughs> I would and, and most people should. Most people actually should. When there's like some personal stuff going on, and I'm like, this is just not worth anybody's time. I will straight up shut it down. Not doing it. It's not worth my time. Not because I don't care, because it's like I could be using my time for, for better things. I could be spending time with, with loved ones. I could be growing the business, right? Like I don't care about arguing or trying to optimize my purchase decision for for my phone over who do we hire how do we double the size of the company now the macbooks that we had an hour-long conversation with that was higher level and and i and and i say that to say it's not because it's like what what should i get for my personal laptop it's like no these are going to be for engineers that we're going to be paying 180 grand a year for yeah, that's worth the decision. <laughs> and now we're thinking, well, okay, well, how does that play over if let's say somebody leaves and then we need to repurpose that laptop? Great. Now we got to find a middle ground that makes the most sense, right? Like, you know, you, you know, it, it just, it's a larger decision when you're building a team than what phone should I get because I like my phone. Right. And this is, this is all stuff like this. It, it, it might sound like this is this is a conversation that just it seems silly. Why would anyone have this conversation? But I, you know, my my day job is at a large tech company, and I can tell you this is exactly the conversation they've had about a lot of things. Right when it comes to the phones, you get two options: you get a Google Pixel something or other, or whatever the latest budget iPhone is. Right, and that's it. Because there are so many like these are your two choices: take it or leave it, or use your own and suffer the consequences therein. And then when it comes to computers, you get maybe one or two maybe three choices, right? Like that's, and these are going to be the computers that are going to be issued for the foreseeable future, right? Unless Apple does something really dumb, this is always what it's going to be, right? Yeah. And then that's it. And then you never have to think about it again. And the IT department never has to think about it again because it's predictable. And 
purchasing is predictable and the pricing is predict like everything is predictable right it's gonna be exactly the same day in and day out that's it and that's the type of conversations you want to be having that's why the power of defaults matter and that's why algorithms matter when you can take that idea reduce it down into simple things that you do daily like how do you work through your task list how do you work through your emails this stuff compounds it's like everything else. Okay, you only saved four milliseconds because you're using a text replacement instead of typing out your phone number. People are like, oh, who cares? What does it matter? Okay, but if you write out your phone number five times a day or your email, more importantly, five, six, seven times a day, on top of 30 other tasks that you could also apply this methodology to, you're talking about something that adds up to 30 minutes to an hour a day on the easy end, on the easy free stuff. So a lot of people are like, oh, it's kind of dorky, ha ha. No, it's not. It's serious. It's business. Like This becomes a competitive advantage because when other people are struggling and having to work 80 hours a week to get 40 hours worth a week done, you're doing it in 30. And people go, I don't know how you guys are accomplishing so much with, with such a small team. Here's how. That's it. It's a secret sauce, right? It's like, Because all the menial bullshit has been taken away. Right. That, and that's the point, right? Like we're, we're taking and we're saying, okay, let's classify. Is that high level, low level, mid level? If it's low level and it still needs to get done because it can be low level but still important, right? I still need to type my email. Great. Let's look at automation. Let's look at text expansion. Let's look at those kind of tools that can easily solve that problem. But if it's a low level thing and it really just doesn't matter, it's out the door. It's done. We're not having a conversation. We're not going to talk about it. It's done. It's a waste of everybody's time. There is no actual outcome from from dealing with it. Bye. There are pretty easy starting examples of this too in a business. Think of paying somebody to do your business's taxes, for example. Right. Or if you're a small company and you don't really need your own HR person, paying a company to be your contract HR person, problem solved. Now all of a sudden you as a founder don't have to think about employment laws and other scary things, right? This is not a new concept, right? It, it sounds like this is some mind-blowing new thing that you're just coming up with right now when in reality i mean neither of us have had an original thought this entire conversation right like this is <laughs> this entire podcast there wasn't an original thought here i'm gonna be honest with you um we're just we're breaking it down to more of a, a fundamental like basic level here you know like we can be super particular about what this actually looks like in practice you read hr accounting blah 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 right like your mail service even you know even if you don't have an office right who's going to do your mail fun fact virtual mailboxes exist right you know that's yeah. that's another example right. right like anything and this this almost ties into the the outsourcing episode we had with nathan, nathan hirsch right episode 10 um that's like a like a physical like a human influence like a human backed version of this right where you know obviously to to more accurately replicate it you would have your 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 virtual assistants your outsourced staff already on board and doing the work but instead of having to think about all of these tasks that you have to do every day all the time you're giving them to someone else and they're doing them and thinking about them and you're just seeing the outcome of it right and maybe maybe they figure out a way to automate i don't know it doesn't really matter the the point i'm trying to make which admittedly is still early it's not even nine o'clock yet but dylan insists 
on an early morning show, fine, I'll let him do it, is that it's you're ensuring these tasks are not things that you're going to be doing yourself every time for copious amounts of time when there are better things that you could be doing. Yeah. I was talking to a angel investor yesterday, actually on the call, and he made a good point. He's like, listen, sometimes founders, and that's what most of us can consider ourselves, are great at what they do, which is going from zero to one. Simple fact is, your business, if you want it to continue to grow, gets to a, a catalytic, is that a word? Catalytic? No, that's not a word. It gets catalytic? to a catalyst. Catalytic? Catal- yeah, I'm not sure that's the correct which I'm going. <laughs> Either way, it gets to a critical threshold. Let's just define it. Um, it gets to a critical threshold at which you may or may not be the best person to continue running it. Think about it. You might be good at getting businesses from zero to six figures maybe even seven figures, but are you the person to get it from seven to eight figures? Maybe, maybe not. And it's something to have a discussion about, right? Because listen, he made a good point. He's like, listen, you're going and you are getting away from day-to-day operations so heavily, which you may enjoy, and you are now simply managing the entire operation and you're steering the boat. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, I do that already, but it's different. It is different. And you have to be aware that, you may or may not be the person to take it there. And that's okay, right? There's no right or wrong here. You may be, right? But it's a different skill set. And so these things we're talking about enables you to shift into that role way earlier, way, way earlier. Um, It gives you a framework for thinking, right? Like I'm a huge fan of mental models, right? Occam's razor, you know, um, a supply demand curve is literally like a mental model. It's just, it's just, that term is never really used. It's just like, Oh, here's economics, but like they're using a mental model to teach you things. Right. Um, it's really interesting how you can take a framework, an idea, a model, apply it to something and have a optimal decision to be made. And, when you can approach all the small things like that, approaching the large decisions, the large problems like that are just as easy, right? Because the the volume, the weight of the problem is less important when you have the same framework that can be applied and scaled up. It's really interesting. And too many business owners are not thinking that way or they think they are, right? It's like, hey, I made this decision. Great. Based on what? What was your thought process? It felt right. Great. That doesn't help me at all, right? How's that help me with the next one? How, how do I, as your employee, get told, handle that problem from now on based on what? How do, how do I make that decision? And if you want me to make the decision based on how you would make the decision, you need to quantify that for me. You need to add clarity. And if it's, hey, here's the three mental models I use routinely to make decisions, I want you to understand these and apply these to any problems you deal with. What's the probability of me making decisions similar to you as the business owner? It's pretty high. It's not 100%, but it's high. Yeah. To use a, a real-life example here, in the in the business that I'm in the process of creating, uh, we may have briefly discussed in the last episode, depending on how generous I am with my editing. You know, Early on, I, I, I knew I am not a graphic designer, but the product relies very heavily on branding, right? So I reached out to somebody I knew that had a style of artwork that I like. So immediately I don't have to think about what's the style going to be because I just, I picked somebody that, that I enjoyed that problem was already immediately solved and we hadn't even started yet. 
And then I told him, look, here are the five or six things that I need to have. Go nuts. Yeah. And then I'm done with it, right? And so then from here on out, all I have to do is say, hey, we're introducing a new product. Here's the info. Go nuts. And that's it. Yep. That's that 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 right. ten minute conversation is literally the extent of the work I need to do. They know everything they need to do, and then at some point in the future, branding appears. And, and yeah. well, let's take it a step further. And we mentioned this on the last episode as well, and maybe on another one. Is like actually, yeah, probably on the last two because I, I think it's contextual here. Is like, how do you know when to launch a new SKU? Right? Are you just like, oh, it feels right? Great, that doesn't help me at all. And now you're running a fifty fifty risk profile of maybe it goes well, maybe you waste your money. Rather, you build the logical sequence through which you say, if these things happen, I will launch a new SKU. That becomes your algorithm. So again, you don't have to think through when you launch a SKU. It either gets launched based off of what you have set and that set criteria can iterate and change and it should based off a of feedback loop, right? So let's say you launch it. It does really well. Great. Let's hold it there. Let's try that again. Oh, it didn't launch. It didn't do well. Okay, let's iterate the the checklist or or, or the algorithm, so to speak, right? Um, because when we when when you hear people saying you need to be a person who makes data driven decisions, it's not just you look at the data, you make your interpretation, and then you still make a good decision. Like, yeah, okay, it's influenced by the data, but you can interpret it however which way you want. We know data can be manipulated. Instead, what it really means is that, yes, the data is contextual. The data does matter here. But how are you viewing that data? How are you analyzing it? How are you interpreting it? And how are you putting that into execution? When you make decisions based off of frameworks, you are a data-driven person. That's how this works. Yeah, I mean, to continue with my real-life example, you know, starting off, I came up with a core set of products that I know will sell based on predefined criteria that I went out and validated or didn't validate, right? And then from there on out, I have more consistent things like, okay, the holidays, <clears throat> right? Like that's that's an automatic, you know, how do we, it's not that can we sell something special during the holidays because the answer is typically a default yes, just across the board, right? It's what can we sell that's special for the holidays? What makes it different than what you could just buy any other day of the year? And how do we make it appealing to the holiday buyer specifically, right? Like if you're thinking about, you know, a good, a good easy example is like a, like a gift set. Like if you, let's say you sell maybe like a dozen different little widgets, right? And perhaps it's cost effective to put one of all 12 widgets in a box as a gift set, right? Like you've done literally zero, well, not literally zero, maybe maybe one extra work and that's it, right? You didn't have to come up with anything new. You didn't have to think about any kind of wild and crazy marketing to get people to buy it. It's just the fact that there's this time of year done, easy, right? Yeah, you made a smart decision, right? And I think a lot of people are struggling to grow a company but they're optimizing one for low level things, right? You're, you're basically making, you know, 10 penny decisions when you should be making $30,000 decisions, right? If not higher. So one, you're too focused on low level activities and decisions that really just don't have any impact, right? This is why I've always said at any given time, you have two things. You have the biggest growth lever that if you pull everything else you could have done pales in comparison. And two, you have the biggest bottleneck that if you solve that biggest bottleneck, 
it will solve your largest, most painful problem to where the rest of your problems pale in comparison, right? So you're too focused at the low level. Two, you analyze what is happening. You interpreted that data and you made one decision based on all of that, that that basically solves theoretically the largest growth lever, solved your biggest bottleneck. Like that's where the creativity in all this comes in, right? I keep saying, you know, thinking this way doesn't make you a machine. It enables you to be creative because what you don't want to do is be creative based on what you think is happening. You need to know what's happening. You need the reality of what's happening. Then you as the entrepreneur get to have the creative right to, to figure out how you want to solve that problem. But you need to actually know and understand what the problem is first. And most people don't. They just say, oh, this feels painful. Therefore, it's important. No, it's not. Most of the time, it's not. And then to take that, you know, two steps further even here in two parts, I can, I can hear somebody saying, well, what about the rest of the year? Okay. What have your customers been telling you? Right? That's, that's a question that comes Feedback up. Right? Like if you're – right. If, if someone's saying, man, I really wish you carried blank. Okay. One person, no. Fine. A hundred people? 80% of your, your customer base tells you they want variation X. You know what a feedback loop is called? A framework. <laughs> like, again, right, I use these terms not to sound fancy and fun. It's like, no, like these are the frameworks I want to remind myself exist. And then the, the second part here is, you know, I found myself spending too much time thinking about how much am I going to charge for shipping? You know, there, there's probably a half a dozen way, different ways you could go about it, right? You could do metered, you could do flat rate, you could do free, you could do free at a tier, you could do flat rate at a tier, you could do metered up to a tier. Like, I, the fact that I just rattled all those off instantly tells you I considered all of those. Right. The fact that I spent the time considering all of those means I spent too much time on it, right? And I ended up sticking with flat rate at a tier. It makes it easiest for me. I now all of a sudden I don't have to do any calculations ever anywhere, right? I don't have to try and figure out anything. I pick the number that's in the middle and I just, dealt with it. I stopped thinking about it because I was never going to be satisfied with what I was coming up with otherwise. And I'm, I'm okay with that. It's fine. Yeah. No. And, and okay, let's, let's talk about simplicity then, right? Because you can make things more complex, which so many people do because for whatever reason, we as humans love complexity, even though simplicity actually has the, the best outcome. If I'm not mistaken, Occam's razor, which is a mental model can be applied here. What's the simplest solution? right? First principles thinking. So a first principle is a mental model, right? First principle being defined as what are you really trying to solve, right? Like argue. So boil it down to, to the, the minute existence of whatever we're talking about, right? I want to start a business. Okay, great. Now rationalize and argue up from that first principle. So when you're thinking through this way, you're not like, how do we make this more complex? How do we make this more fancy? Blah, blah, blah. You're like, no, listen, I'm trying to start a brand. What's the simplest way for me to do that? And what's the most direct way for me to go from A to B? Get rid of everything else. The complexity is fluff. The complexity is the low-level task things that will come up that simply don't matter that much. Because here's what's great. You can make that decision based off shipping realize it was the wrong one and, ch and just change it. <laughs> so it, if you can change it at any point, does it, does it matter that much? Not really. It matters, but only so much. You know what I mean? Like it's such an easy thing to correct or fix. Now, if it's like arguing for a three-year commercial lease in a new city, yeah, take some time, right? You want to think that one through. It might be Boston. Um, 
you know, that's, that's not cheap. Okay. Well, that's something we're going to spend a lot more time on making a decision on, but relatively speaking, you know, what tool do we use for X? I don't care what tool you use for your email. <laughs> like I really don't, right? Like I don't care if you want to use Todoist over OmniFocus or, or vice versa. I truly don't care because relatively speaking, one just simply doesn't matter. Uh, to to start buttoning this up, there's there's a trend here. I, I'm sensing a theme in in some of the, the things that we've been discussing. You know, in a very early episode, we had brought up you're starting a new business, and this was Amazon specific at the time. And there's often the conversation of what platform do I use to build my website? Like the the, the wrong question is asked immediately. Instead, it should be, do I actually really need this? Right, because it's we have these these thoughts that we need all of these things by default in order to do business, and when in reality we haven't even evaluated if they're going to provide actual value at all. Yeah, and you haven't even validated if they are required. That's the important part. But let's let's think first principles. Let's apply this to that. Why an Amazon business? Why do you want to start a business to begin with? Right, we can reverse engineer it because you saw it right. <laughs> and I love when people are like, okay, you're super into Amazon, like. You know, I really want to start this business. I go, why do you want to start an Amazon business? Well, isn't that like imp- like implied? I'm like, no, like I don't think Amazon's the end all be all. I've always said that. Why Amazon out of all the options you could choose? Oh, well, I just want to start a business that can give me X, Y, and Z. Well, maybe Amazon's not the option for you. Maybe it's something completely different. Or heck, imagine this. Why don't you just go get a job? Because all the things you rattled off, somebody will pay you 80 grand a year for, and your life is going to be way more streamlined. Yeah, but I'm working for the man, Dylan. <laughs> oh, God forbid. I know, right? But who gives a shit? Like, that's my thing. <laughs> I've always said people are like, oh, you could never go back to working for somebody. Yeah, I could. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> why couldn't I? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not of the mindset that I'm, I'm not capable of doing anything. You yeah. think if I can crush it running my own business that I can crush it working for somebody else? Yeah, it's going to be a joke. Like mm-hmm. It's going to be so simple because I've managed so many things already. But I think you need to get rid of the ego side that says, I'm an entrepreneur, nah, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you realize what you want, reverse engineer the requirements, and then find the best possible outcome based off those requirements? It's the basis for reverse engineering, which guess what is a framework. Like these are all things that I utilize. I don't care if 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 my framework tells me a job makes more sense for me, I'm probably going to do it. But if 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 I'm not an entrepreneur, how can I how can I be in my library with my Lambos, just talking about my garage books that I don't read, smoking these meats, just kind of barbecuing, and I'm going to give you a nine minute YouTube ad, and it's going to be great. Like I don't, sorry. If, some people might not understand that joke, and I'm not going to put it in the show notes because I'm not going to. No, please don't justify it. <laughs> but for those that do know what I'm talking about, it's that's gonna that's gonna hit real hard. Listen, Noah Kagan put out a, a post on Instagram the other day. It was like a graphic, like how much money he made, and he's like, "Listen, just so everybody's aware, I made less money after leaving the companies that I worked for while starting my own thing for the first ten years." He's like, I would have made more money. So if your thing is, I want to make the most money. He's like, you actually might want to consider just staying with your job. Because <laughs> like, one, you're taking a huge step back, right? Like, yeah, in the long run, sure, right? You're optimizing for equity and all that stuff. But that's in the long run. If you're like, no, I make 50 grand a year. I want to make 80 to be happy. And like, I don't care how I make it. Great. Just go optimize getting like a higher paying job that you enjoy. 
versus like, I'm going to go be a masochist and start a company, <laughs> like, even though I've never done it. <laughs> Some people like, like punishing themselves, but you know, that's not, that's not within the scope of this podcast. Yeah, no, I, I remember having this conversation early on with somebody and it wasn't Amazon specific in one of the various Facebook groups. I'd mentioned that I don't have any plans on quitting my job because I make way more money in my job. Like the money that comes that comes to me in my paycheck every week after taxes, the amount of money that I would have to sell on Amazon realistically to replicate that is not first year numbers, not second year numbers. Like it's not even like four year numbers. And it's less stressful. Most I can, I can, I don't even know, but like I can probably like argue for you that it's probably the most or is the least stressful income you get. Oh, absolutely. Right. <laughs> absolutely. Like I, I know that I, I show up virtually, I do the things and then I leave and then money appears, right? Like I don't have right. to think about, okay, what's, what's the next product that I'm going to have to sell in order to keep this, all of this stuff flowing in. What is, right. I don't have to think about the taxes. I don't have to think about the advertising, which admittedly it's also fun stuff when it comes sure. to, you know, if you like operating a business, but when that's what's required to put food on the table, and really, honestly, think about it. Like, it's I different. the conversation I ultimately ended it with. It, it really, the the question was, how long before you quit your job? And my response was, stick with it for as long as humanly possible. Yeah, because that takes away so much of the stress. Right, and it, it gives you a really good opportunity to do all of the things that we've been talking about without worrying about getting it wrong. And then now you can't make your rent. Right. And, and I've always been told you never quit a job for a business until it is costing you more money. AKA if you just make that one decision immediately, you would make more money. Like that's how you make a smart decision here. Right. Not like, Oh, I'm going to quit my 80 grand a year job to go make 40 grand a year. Like, listen, that may make sense because you're, what you're potentially not optimizing for is the income you're optimizing for the freedom. Right. And so it's all subjective, but again, it comes down to like, what do you want? Do you want the highest level of income? Okay. That's a different decision than I just want to like be free and like live on a sailboat full time. Like, okay, totally different. Right. And even if you hate your job, I, I say that is like the best motivator to put in the effort to fine tune this yeah. business you're building. So then when you do quit your job, you're, you're set, right? Like if you, if you don't hate your job, you're not going to want to quit it. Right. That's kind of generally people. That's how that works. (laughs) Right. We hear from people who want to quit their nine to five. It's because they, they dislike their job. So that should be the motivator, right. To even, to lock that down even more, not the motivator to bail out as quickly as you can and then hope it works. Right. hundred percent. Unpopular opinion, but whatever, but the right one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to grow or do you want to like stay in the same thing and get confirmation bias? Like, yeah. no, sorry. Like, I'm going to tell you, you the reality have. of it. Like, you won't you know, find I, it here. I, no, I love when people reach out and they're like, Hey, I just quit my job. And like, I need to start a business and I need to make like six figures in the next like 60 to 90 days. What should I do? I'm like, go get your job back. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. The, that's the, you've, that's have the, you ever started a business? No. Okay. It's not going to work. That's sorry. That's, that's the kicker right there is that what you just said, I need, right? Right. You don't, you don't start a business cause you need, you start because you want yeah. Or because, and you start a business for 10 years, not for, a, I need to make six figures in 90 days. That's not how that works. Well, you shouldn't have quit your job if you need to make six figures. Yeah. Go get another one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Step <100%. laughs> zero. Yeah, exactly. Step one in the algorithm, get your job back. Step two, <laughs> make 10 year decisions. 
what's the what's the algorithm book for pleading for your job back? That's a good one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> if you could write that book, you'll be a millionaire. Yeah, seriously. That's, it's one that's page. it right there, is, is writing the book on how to get your job back because you realize you screwed up. I like it. I like it. That'll be the title, too. find myself holding this microphone way more a lot more because it's a microphone that's meant to be held <laughs> i'm just like I, i'm just like really getting into it like yeah you, like, I like it you know like it's on a microphone stand and i'm standing yeah. up on a stage right <laughs> i feel it i feel it you should get a rest <laughs> yeah okay i'll take it out i'll take it out of its take it out of its holder and I'll but see the, the trick it. is you gotta roll you gotta roll the wrist inside and just oh. let it rest there kind of like kind of like that no roll r- roll this way there you go. Just let okay. it rest. Just kind of, kind of let it, it sit. Yeah. See, it doesn't sound right though. Like I don't have to want to have to do more work to edit myself. Oh, you will. <laughs> you, you for sure are going to. I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it up closer to my mouth so I don't have to do as much work later. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this, uh, this all came up before we even started recording. I'm trying, like, trying a new microphone. It's nothing fancy. Don't worry about it. This won't be in the show either.